This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining me here on this lovely Sunday morning here in Los Angeles. Super Bowl Sunday here in the L.A. Rams against the Cincinnati Bengals. And, uh, of course, coming from L.A., we, we have a lot of Rams fans here. I being one of them, I didn't get the lottery to get the um, the ticket. They, apparently, they drew a lottery for all the, the season ticket holders, the, the seat licenses, and I have one. And I think they were giving like 300 tickets, the opportunity at face value. So you can still have to buy them, but it was face value. And I can tell you, I mean, the tickets in my section are going for over $6,500. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And the face value is like $1,600. I mean, if I got them, I, I would have stayed home, watched it on TV, and made myself some money. But uh, anyway, didn't get the chance. So um, anyway, here, thanks for joining me. Here at Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Great ways to get a hold of me. Number one, you can always call me toll-free, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. You can also join me here live on Pet Life Radio. Very simple. Go to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and join. There'll be a link there, Zoom link left for you. Or, of course, for those of you here on my Instagram Live, just join me here on Instagram, and we can talk, and I can wave to you. Any questions you may have, Michael, thank you for uh, sending me the question. Uh, we will answer that online. Otherwise, you know, as you know, it is typically what I like to do here on the show is go through uh, perusing the news. I do want to talk about some things, you know, having taken so many virtual visits and I just want to help you guys through what, what's an emergency and what's not. I mean, I get so many calls. I've had well over 3,000. I don't know, maybe 60 I sent to emergency. I mean, that kind of tells you most of the things you, that you're worried about, you're concerned about, are probably not emergencies where you have to go to emergency facility, wait for hours. You can get help on just talking to somebody and determining, you know what? Not an emergency. Ick away. So anyway, a couple of interesting stories. First of all, as we know, tomorrow, February 14th, Valentine's Day. So basically, you want to consider your dog's heart health as well, thinking of Valentine's Day, and specifically a number of diseases, heartworm disease. So apparently heartworm disease in many parts of the country, it, well, first of all, it is a potentially deadly disease. The heartworm itself is carried by mosquitoes. So if you live in a mosquito area, for example, South Florida, you're going to have your animals on heartworm prevention all year round. In the Northeast, it's more of a spring-summer problem. So a lot of people take off and don't do it during the winter, but they do it during the spring and summer. Here in the West and in desert areas, we don't have a lot of mosquitoes at all because they really thrive in certain humidities, moisture climates. We have, we're very dry out here, so we don't see a lot of uh, mosquito issues. However, I will tell you, there is a mosquito that we have here in the West and that has been becoming more and more of a threat. It's adapted to our climate. And so therefore, you know, I can be sitting outside and seeing mosquitoes. So I'm encouraging pet parents to have their dogs checked. And, you know, mosquito prevention, heartburn prevention is so easy that if you see a lot of mosquitoes in your area where you live, then just, yes, let's do a test and start prevention. So the two of the, the big four flea and tick products that I like, the isoxazolines, which are the NexGuard, the Brevecto, the Simparica, and the Credilio. Well, now the last two... Credilio has Credilio Plus, Semperica has Semperica Trio, 
And that extra plus and the trio, heartworm prevention as well. So one monthly chewable, tasty tablet, fleas, ticks, and heartworms. Otherwise, there are some great products out there. You talk to your veterinarian. But prevention is way better than treatment, way less expensive. And and guess what? It is not dangerous at all. As a matter of fact, many of the companies, if you buy their products, and I'm talking about the big name ones, Interceptor, HeartGuard, et cetera, they will guarantee their product. If you can prove that you've done annual testing and you've been on the medication monthly, if your dog should come down with heartworm disease, they will pay for the treatment. And treatment's expensive. And again, the disease itself, potentially deadly. So, you know, just kind of keep that in mind as well. So, Anyway, so other things that other than prevention of the mosquitoes and the heartworm, interestingly, heart disease itself, it's a biggie. It can affect about, well, 10% of dogs and cats will have some sort of heart-related disease. And it is one of the number one killers, interestingly, of pets, a heart disease. So as the story goes, it's a leading cause of death, and it can be prevented fairly easily, not necessarily always cured. But by help prevention is early detection, having your veterinarian, you know, staying up on your regular exams, looking for things like irregularities in the heartbeat. Um, heart murmurs are often a big signal that there may be an underlying problem. X-rays will indicate an enlarged heart. Any of these things, any of these things, reasons to see your veterinarian. The next step, interestingly, how things have changed over the years. We used to make our diagnoses based on, of, of course, clinical disease, hearing a murmur, seeing an enlarged heart on x-rays, maybe what we call dorsiflexion of the trachea, possibly some lung involvement as the congestion, that's what's called CHF, congestive heart failure, and an EKG. And we used to treat based on the radiographs and the EKG. Now what's interesting is those are good screeners, but you don't treat based on that. Now with the advent of echocardiography, where you're actually studying the heart during the beat, as it's beating, measuring pressures, being able to evaluate wall thickness and the valves, it is so much more specific for the disease. And of course, then which medication to use for treatment. So now we use the EKG, the x-rays as a reason to say, okay, next step, we're not going to start treating now, which we used to. Now it's okay. Now we need the echocardiogram. And that's where the decisions of not only to treat or not to treat, because there have been many, many cases where based on the old school, based on just x-rays and EKG, we might decide to treat. But when you do the echo, you find out, yeah, the murmur's there, the valves are, but it hasn't really affected the heart. It's still pumping. It's getting the right pressures and no need to treat yet. Conversely, there are some cases where the murmur is not that loud. You don't see much of a change in the heart. Remember, the x-ray is just showing the outside of that. You don't get to see the wall thickness like you can on an echo or an echocardiogram. So you have a minor problem. You think it's not a big deal. And yet when you do the echo, you find, oh my God, we need to treat. Again, if you're not in an area that has echoes, there are specialty clinics, there are veterinary uh, cardiologists, there are veterinary internists that also do a lot of cardiology. So make sure to have your pets checked as well, especially if you have dogs that, that have a, a family history, if you know that. And certain breeds, like the small breeds, are notorious for heart problems. So anyway, just keep that in mind. Also, this I really like too. There is a relatively new drug. By that, I mean, it's pretty new for the veterinary world, but it's been around for in, in the human world for a while. It's called Romidepsin. Romidepsin. Romidepsin, it was used to treat certain lymphomas in people, actually cutaneous lymphomas, very effective. Well, they were doing a study and they were giving it to dogs that had osteosarcoma, which is a bone cancer, which is basically, sadly, deadly. Very few dogs survive it. The treatment of choice still is amputation of the limb. It's usually in a distal limb. 
amputation and chemotherapy. And even with all that, it's a bad disease. Well, their studies here show that this romadepsin will actually slow down the metastases, the metastatic disease process. And so these animals are surviving much longer. It's, I mean, it's still it's early on in the study. It's are still going to get them. But, you know, to be able to give a client, to be able to, for me to give you, if your dog, heaven forbid, ends up with osteosarc, and we do the treatment, you do the chemo, you do the amputation, and to, to be able to say, well, no, instead of only having, even with all that, maybe a year and a half, two years if you're lucky, but maybe we can give you four years. And since when they get it, they're usually older dogs in the first place. And also preventive. Remember, this is why many of us, certainly, you know, myself included, have been pushing back, especially with large breeds, the neuter and the spay, because it turns out that we find that there is a 65% greater incidence in long bone cancer in the male who is prepubertally neutered and 35% greater incidence in the female that was prepubertally spayed. So there must be some protective benefit of the sex hormones, right, on a developing dog that will end up preventing down the road is the development of osteosarcoma. So it is really, really important. Talk to your veterinarian, but I feel very strongly about it. Now, you know what they're going to say? Well, the study was done on Rottweilers. Well, that's great, but that doesn't mean that you can't extrapolate because if Rottweiler was the only dog that would get bone cancer, then I'd say, oh, you're right. So don't worry about the others. But no, we see bone cancer in many, many, many large breed dogs. And um, as I said, it's a terrible disease. So even with treatment, that's why this was so exciting for me to know that there may be something on the horizon that is a lot better. You know, we always talk about the rabies. Where, you know, again, don't get too lax on your rabies vaccines. You know, it is a lifesaver. We don't see a lot of it. I haven't seen it, you know, or heard of it here in, in, in Los Angeles area. I don't know, since I've been starting to practice, I mean, even as a tech over 40, 50 years. However, it's still there. I mean, you, plus it's a, a, it's a it's a human health hazard. It's a zoonotic disease. So you want to protect us anyway by having your pets up to date on the rabies shots. Here's one. The, a dead gray fox found in southwestern Colorado tested positive for distemper. So, and the virus is easily spread in mucus secretions, sneezing, coughing, all right, from dogs that are carrying distemper. But it's not just dog to dog to dog. All right, obviously, this happened in a fox, which is another canidae, but also we're seeing in skunks. We're seeing it in raccoons. We're seeing it in ferrets. And these animals are running around. I mean, I, twice, twice this last week, my dogs were going crazy on a late night walk. I saw, I mean, literally it was a stare down between my two of my, I have five, two of my dogs just froze right across the street. It was dark, so I really couldn't see. In my street, we don't have tons of street lights, and, but they knew it. And all of a sudden I see it. It was a coyote literally across the street. I don't think the coyote realizing that one of my dogs is a big Labrador and hearing the growling and seeing me, a person, didn't want to take any chances and it just scooted off. And last night, walking around, tail up in the air, fortunately it was not that close to us, was, was a skunk. So uh, no, these animals are around. And this hour seeing also the lepto in certain areas that we never, never dealt with before in, in a really urban area. But now we're calling it like the urban and the suburban wildlife. They're really the same wildlife that were up in the, down in the canyons and up in the mountains, up in the forested areas. But now they're coming down to us. So again, it's a big problem. So um, anyway, when uh, we come back, we're just about to take our halfway through break. We're going to talk about just when is sick actually sick? In other words, when do you really need to, to worry? And uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that. So don't go away. We'll wrap back after these short messages here at Pet Life Radios. Ask the best with Dr. Jeff. And of course, on Instagram Live, just ask Jeff. Okay, we'll be back in a minute. 
Here is an alarming statistic. More than two-thirds of dogs and cats have oral health disease by the age of three, and one of the indicators is bad breath. Do your pets have a healthy mouth? Do you cringe when it's time for a kiss or a snuggle? Let's get to the cause. Harmful bacteria in their mouth. And bad breath is just the start. The bad bacteria cause tartar and oral disease, which can lead to serious overall health problems. It's critical to make sure your pet's oral health is the best it can be, as good dental health is key to optimizing their overall health. Now, good news! It's easy and affordable to improve their oral health with Probiora Pet. Just one scoop of this dental care probiotic mixed into their food daily floods the mouth with positive bacteria, which crowds out the bad. This means better oral health and fresher breath. Probiora Pet is an all-natural dental care probiotic. It's odor and taste-free, so your pets will still enjoy their chow. We want to keep your pets healthy. During National Pet Oral Health Month, our listeners can save 10%. Go to probiorapet.com and use PLR10 at checkout. That's probiorapet.com. Use PLR10 at checkout to save 10%. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> And welcome back. I'm uh, here talking on IG Live to uh, Michael, who's got two Frenchie sisters, and one of them on walks it can get very, very antisocial, very aggressive. And I'm laughing because I have one such Frenchie also, who it's really bad when people know you're a veterinarian. And, and they do. My neighborhood, they all know I'm a vet. And I have some of the worst behaved dogs on the planet. And, and they want to kill every other dog. It is so crazy, especially two of them in particular. One is on the borderline. Only two of them are really sweet with other dogs. Now, the Frenchie, interestingly, got away, crossed the street to some other dog. He's a big, beautiful golden retriever. Not just a big, always to be a big, beautiful golden retriever who's also my patient. And, um, and yet, when he got there... He didn't bite. He was just you know, running around and, and, and almost like he wanted to play. I don't know if I would trust him all the time. Also being, you know, again, with such a bigger dog, but it was very interesting because he just ran. I mean, I was more worried than I'm running across the street. Fortunately, we live in a fairly quiet neighborhood where you don't have a lot of through traffic. But I got to tell you, he is very, very embarrassing. So we just talked about, you know, different ways to desensitize the dog and to counter condition. What that means is we don't want the puppy, the dog, the little Frenchie to not like other dogs, of course. So we want to make it a, give it a positive experience and so positive that she will look forward to seeing other dogs on her walk because now she's going to be rewarded. And it's all about positive reinforcement. It's about a game I call finding a friend. And you just need to basically identify the distance beyond which the dog does not respond, doesn't react. And then that is that magical distance. And then you're going to shorten it each time because you're going to, when you see that dog from the distance, you have her sit and what, you know, whatever her name is, oh, look at that, a friend. And you give her a treat. Oh my God, you have a friend. That's so cute. And then you give her the treat and now walk away. Don't keep going towards it. But each time or every few sessions, you wait until you're a little closer before you have that behavior. And the idea is to shorten the distance, shorten the distance until they can be right up to him. And the dog is waiting. She's going to sit. And she wants her treat because she found a friend. And it, it just changes the whole dynamic and um, takes, like with any behavior modification, it takes time and patience and a lot of 
positive reinforcement rewards. So that's what I do. So Michael, try that. If you have any questions, you can always get back to me. And uh, thank you very much for um, kind of joining me here and asking some questions. Anyone else who has something? Ah, Rusty, hiatal hernia treatment in Boston's via Reglan. So hiatal hernia, it's a developmental condition. And the part of the heart and esophagus and the stomach, the outflow tract sometimes ends up into the chest and it's a problem. It cinches down the flow. These dogs will do a lot of regurgitation, a lot of vomiting, uh, very, very acidic, the stuff. And so the, the Reglan is to help with motility. Unfortunately, if the medical therapies don't work and sometimes they don't, surgery is going to be the option. And that surgery is going to be done typically by a board certified surgeon. It is something that is, it's pretty specialized. Uh, I'm actually dealing with the Frenchie now. We see it, by the way, it's, it doesn't surprise me that it's in the Boston because we see it in Bostons, we see it in Frenchies, we see it in Pugs, these very short-faced brachycephalic breeds. And um, we're dealing with one right now that it looks like it's going to end up going into surgery. So, uh, I mean, if medical therapy works, that's great, but just understand many of those have to go into surgery. All right, so this is uh, another Frenchie problem. These Frenchies, boy, you know, I love them. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I take care of a ton of them. But some of these things, so, so loving with people, but any other dog, even ones they've known since puppies, they want to attack. You know, that is just, again, it's socialization. Obviously, the Frenchie was well socialized with people, and now we got to get them well socialized with dogs as well. You might want to, you know, get, get the right dog and have them uh, come over to the house if there's any particular breed. If it's a big dog, obviously, you want to work up to it slowly by starting with very small breeds, you know, and then you, you make play dates. And you work with training and positive reward on a leash, of course, at first, you gradually, once they see that the dog is no threat, that's why you want to start really small dogs at first. And then you just kind of gradually increase the size until they are very comfortable with all dogs. Again, these behavior issues that you may also, and again, I'm not one in huge fan, but you know, sometimes you have to do it. You want to talk to your veterinarian or veterinary behaviorist, you may need to put yours on some medication to bring down that level of anxiety and excitement when he sees other dogs. And then just enough to allow you to actually do the behavior modification. You kind of have to bring down that level of hyper excitement and just enough to start doing the treatment. So, but if you, um, you can get a hold of me privately and we can, I can give you some names of um, some behaviors that might be able to help you. Also, uh, pancreatitis diets for picky eaters such as cavaliers. Well, one of the things here is um, the goal behind the diets with pancreatitis is low fat. Fat is one of the predisposing factors of pancreatitis. So you want to look for a low fat diet. You can make one. If you're going to use meats and, and chicken, use white breast, you know, white meat chicken, use lean, lean, lean beef. Chicken's probably better. It's easier to digest for them and just start low fat. And, you know, one of the things that there are there are some dogs that will have residual pancreatic enzymes that might be a little elevated, but are totally clinically normal. They're showing no symptoms, no signs. I don't like typically, I mean, I, I never say never, but my goal is not to treat the lab test. I want to treat the dog. So if I have a dog that is totally fine clinically, run around eating, everything's fine. And it happens to have some liver enzyme elevation or pancreatic enzyme elevation or whatever, I might modify a diet a little bit like with kidneys, but I'm not going to super panic on liver. I'll put them on maybe denicil or denimerin, a supplement, S-adenosyl. I'm not going to panic that much and start hospitalizing and, and fluids. You know, if the dog is acting and behaving totally normally, if it's eating, point of, of the treatments is when whatever it is, is the values are high enough that it's starting to affect their behavior. 
their attitudes, their appetites, etc. So a lot of times I will make some, usually just some dietary adjustments, see how that works, and then go from there and then monitor. And if things aren't changing, not getting worse, not, not getting better, but not getting worse, and the dog's still fine, this could be that dog's normal. So, you know, it's just a matter of monitoring more frequently, making sure that whatever it is, is not getting worse. But I don't panic that much uh, as long as the animal is eating just totally normally. So speaking of panicking, everyone, I love that you join me. If you have any questions, by the way, you can always reach me here on um, Pet Life Radio or on Instagram. So what is sick? And that's what, you know, what I've learned. That's why I really like doing when I do these, these consults, it's on telemedicine, it's, it's on airbed. And what I'm doing is I get to see the, the animal. I get to see the cat, see the dog, whatever it is. And, you know, like I say, on video. And I've said this before, if it's true that a picture is worth a thousand words, a video is worth a hundred thousand words, because I can tell right when I'm talking to somebody and watching the animal, whether I need to be alarmed and whether, you know, first of all, let's get some things. There's no such thing as an emergency limp. Okay. There's no such thing. I'd say there's no such thing. There's not much to an emergency cough or sneeze. Okay. An emergency scratch, scratching. So even a bite wound. Okay. It all depends on how deep is it affecting the animal? I had a dog come in yesterday. It was a Sharpay that was attacked by a, a pit bull that got away from through a fence and full thickness right here at the upper lip, literally sliced wide open. And um, they came in, it was about five hours later. And um, the dog was acting totally fine. We cleaned it up. I love plastic surgery, sewed it up beautifully, I might add, and, uh, and started antibiotics. But it was, you know, that was five hours. So it just shows you it wasn't bleeding. Bad. Of course, it bled at first, and then it clotted. And then we can always what we call debride. And if you go to some of these emergency facilities, you're going to wait four or five hours before they see you anyway. So why not wait from, you know, if it happened at, uh, you know, three, four in the morning, wait till eight o'clock and take them to your regular vet. And uh, your regular vet can, a lot of these things are your regular veterinarians can do without problem. And when your regular vets do it, first of all, your pets are usually more comfortable at a veterinarian that they know. Okay. You are usually more comfortable working with a veterinarian that you know. And I will tell you from experience, I can almost promise you that the fees at your regular general practice veterinarian are not going to be as exorbitant. They may be exorbitant, but not as as an emergency clinic. And also just another thing, some of the, and I found this out and it really frustrates the heck out of me. I've had dogs that I would consider an emergency, things like a ruptured spleen and they're bleeding into their abdomen. And I, I talk to them. I say, no, you need to, they follow up with me. They say, no, they just wanted to put it on fluids and they want to wait until morning. Hmm, interesting. Do you know why they want to wait till morning? Not because they know that it should be done right away. This dog can bleed out. And they'd rather cover up by giving transfusions and fluids instead of getting to the root of the problem and removing the spleen because they don't want to call in the surgeon to come in at two in the morning to do the splenectomy. And those cases bother me. They, they use the excuse that, oh, well, it's okay. It can wait. And personally, I don't like to wait. When I get those coming into my office, I clear my appointment and tell my, my receptionist to call these people and I'm going into surgery. And I think that the best way, you're still going to have them on fluids, you still make to transfuse them. But now, you know, we do what's called auto transfuse. We leave, leave a lot of that blood inside the abdomen. And uh, these dogs do very, very well. So what's sick is what we call a true, a, a huge bleed, not being able to breathe. Hit by car, for example. Okay. If it's just a limp and, a, and even if it's a broken bone. Now, let's say it's a fracture. That's a compound fracture. Okay. That means part of the bone 
is sticking out of the, of the uh, leg, yeah, that you need to get taken right away, not to repair the bone. That bone won't be fixed probably for a couple of days, but it's to prevent against further infection and shock and blood loss. So those you want to have come in sooner than later. And um, persistent vomiting, if it really is like if the dog is getting weak and if the dog is getting, the pet's getting very dehydrated, then I would recommend seeing an emergency clinic you know, that night. Let's say we're talking about after hours. But if your pet is still fairly animated and active, if you offered food, it still wants to eat. Now, if it's been vomiting, I may not want you to feed, but the fact that it wants to eat speaks volumes to me. So, you know, the goal here is, you know, when you really should panic and when you don't have to panic. And that's why I would recommend, I would recommend always is thinking about some sort of telemedicine platform now that they're readily available and just being able to have access to a vet just to, to help you through, navigate through what is the urgency here? Is there urgency? And if there's not urgency, wait it out. They can often give you some suggestions to things to try, some things not to do. Like if you have a dog that's like vomiting, don't let it drink bowls of water. Don't let it eat. So what I recommend is, you know, maybe putting a cup of ice cubes in a water bowl. As the ice melts, the dog can get some water, but it can't drink volumes of water all at one time because you have a full bowl because that will make a vomit. Vomit breeds vomiting. So once that stomach is goes through the process and it's irritated, it's like taking a, a rag and wringing it out. That's what the inside of the stomach looks like. That's been vomiting. You put something in there, something even as benign as water, and it's going to induce vomiting again. So you got to be really, really careful. Now let's talk about not eating real quickly. Dogs can probably go probably five, six, even seven days without eating as long as they have access to water. Cats, on the other hand, and I'm not saying you should let your dog starve for five days, by all heavens, no. But there have been stories upon stories of dogs being left in you know, abandoned sheds and they find them two weeks later, they're still alive. Cats, on the other hand, cats can dangerously, after three days, they need to be seen. Cats develop something pretty quickly that is called fatty liver syndrome, hepatic lipidosis, which is sometimes worse than the original disease that stopped them wanting to eat. And it is definitely deadly. The last case I had, fortunately, we were able to pull it through, but with a lot of work, uh, putting in a stomach tube, having to feed regularly. This poor cat did not want to eat on its own for several. Finally, finally, when the liver healed, this cat started to eat. The cat now is doing amazingly well, but it took over a month of treatment. So, I mean, if you cannot make that commitment for your cat, do not let the cat go more than three days without um, without eating. So anyway, thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio and on Instagram Live. Always great to see you. Glad you were able to take the time to join me. If you have any questions, anything that you want me to talk about during the week, just send me a, a note anytime, either here, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com or on Instagram, just Werbs underscore DVM or you stick in Jeff Werb where you'll find it. Next week, we're going to have a special guest. If you remember last week, we talked about Pet Dental Health, Health Month. It's still going on the whole month of February. And Dr. Jan Bellows, who did that study, which is why many of us no longer like the anesthesia-free. So Jan is going to join us next week live here on the show to talk about your pet's teeth. And um, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. So if you really want to know the ins and outs of pet dentistry and pet home care, what you can do, what good products, etc., stay tuned next week. It'll be me and Dr. Jan Bellows here on Pet Life Radio and Instagram Live. All right. Happy Super Bowl Sunday to everybody. Uh, go Rams. Unless you are living in Cincinnati, then you might want to go go Bengals. 
but uh, I'm a Rams fan. So uh, let's see how things go. Hopefully I'll be in a good mood when we talk next week. All right, everybody, have a good week. And if you're here in the West LA area, what a great, gorgeous day we have going on. It is stunning outside. It's clear. I can see the mountains. It is just beautiful. So anyway, we're lucky to be here. All right. See you next week. Have a good week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.